0: So we're on a kind of a series of, of, of talks really found in the Gospel of Luke. Um, and as we met as a teaching team, we wanted to give a kind of a broad narrative. But We know it's a summer term, people are coming and going. But for those who, who are here most of the time, it's nice to have something to kind of land these passages. And so we're looking at what, they, what Paul, what, what, sorry, what the scholars say that Luke was trying to do here was called the Luke's Travel Narrative. And Luke's Travel Narrative is that middle section in all the Gospels where Jesus starts off his ministry in Galilee, which is the north of the country, and ends in the third section in his, in his final days in Jerusalem, his crucifixion and his resurrection. But there's this whole middle section, which is him journeying from Galilee from beginnings, moving through Samaria, the north of the country, and down to the bottom. I think we have a little map there that Scott Evans, two weeks ago, gave a great talk on this whole idea of the travel narrative. And our kind of sermon series is this idea of, yeah, travelling companions, travelling with Jesus through this. So I think it makes a lot of sense that sometimes we, you know, in our lives we have our beginnings and we all have our endings. But I think what sort what, of what the most important in some ways in our lives, as well as those two sections, is that middle section of journeying through life. And in some ways, Lucas added in all these interactions that Jesus had on the road towards Jerusalem um, about how to do life following Jesus. So last week, I spoke on the passage of what I'd say the necessity of commitment. If we really want to experience and have the life that Jesus promises us to integrate into all our lives, if we want that, we've got to have full commitment. And we spoke about that last week. Next week, we'll be looking at what it means to, to love our neighbor, what it means to truly love, to be a follower of Jesus. We've got to love. And Jacob will be doing that next week. And, and like all these passages are very challenging. I felt last week preparing for it, speaking to it, it's very challenging what it means am I fully heart, full-hearted committed to following Jesus or is it just another aspect of my life? But this week, it's another challenging one for me. It's about the calling for all of us who are trying to follow Jesus in the ups and downs of life. It's a calling for all of us to, to go out and let other, others know about this Jesus that we follow. One of the things uh, you might have noticed in the in the PowerPoint reading and in the reading was this discrepancy between the seventy and the seventy two, and most most scholars don't really have an agreement. Was it seventy called out was it was it seventy two? In a way it doesn't really matter, but some would say there's great symbolism in the idea of the seventy-two, just like when Jesus called the twelve disciples, you know, there was great symbolism of the twelve tribes of Israel and what Jesus wanted to do with that. So the seventy two, some scholars would say the seventy was mentioned in Genesis ten as a as a to describe the 72 nations of the world. So some people might say when it says, you know, sending out the 70 to 72, it's really a sending out of anyone, everyone. So not all of us, you know, are, I suppose, meant to be like Billy Graham out there in a big crusade, going out and giving it socks. Maybe that's for some of us, but not for all of us, you'd be pleased to know. But all of us, all the 72, everyone that follows Jesus, we are called to tell people about Jesus. So another challenging message. So what I'll be looking at today is this idea of the message. What is the message we're supposed to be saying? And the second thing, what is the method? And when we read this scripture, there's a lot more about the method than the message. But I just want to spend a few moments on the message, and then we'll look into what the, the method of this message is that Jesus is recommending. And I think like this passage as well is very specific for a group of people, 72 people. They were they weren't the disciples, but there are people that follow Jesus, and he's sending them to go out. And, and I'll just be trying to take out some key themes that maybe apply to us as we follow Jesus in the 21st century. But the message, it said, it's only said twice, but it's, it's sort of repeated. The message is, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So that was the message that there was, there was we'll do lots of other things, be hospitable, engage in people's homes, eating and drinking, interacting, going out like lambs among wolves, which we'll be talking about in a minute. But the simple message is that the kingdom of God is near to you, or the translations, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I don't know about you, for, for whatever, however I picked it up along the way, I felt the message to tell people, or the gospel, which means good news, is that we've got fire insurance. with the minimal requirements to avoid hell and get to heaven. Um, but that's not mentioned at all in the, in the gospel. That's not mentioned at all. What it says is that Jesus, from the very beginning, spoke the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven is here. That's what he was talking about. Read at the start of Acts when we speak about Jesus rising from the dead and spending a bit of time discipling the disciples, telling them, look, you're not going to have me physically anymore, but you're going to need to get used to me going away in a different place, interacting with me spiritually. But he said to spend the next 40 days what, telling them about what? The kingdom of God. And we read at the very end of Acts when Paul is in house arrest in Rome, it says that he dedicated his final days talking about the kingdom of God. So if it's not the minimal entry requirements to get to heaven... And it's not only that Jesus died for our sins. In fact, I think what the kingdom of heaven is about is about Jesus dying for sin, so we can have access to the kingdom of Heaven today. We all have kingdoms and queendoms. We all have our sphere of influence, a sphere of uh, where our will. We talk about personal space. If I walk down now and start rooting through Chloe's bag, it'd be like really inappropriate. That's her queendom. That's her her, her sense of rule. I'm learning that with uh, our youngest daughter, Phoebe, as a two-year-old begins to get used to owning her space. She's beginning to get used to know, and this seems to be a bit of her kingdom at the moment. <laughs> uh, and she's learning that. We all have this sense, and you know, each individual, we begin to learn that. And you know, there is, It's really deep, personal space. And when that gets invaded, when we're, people come unannounced, you know, from, from, from simple things of people in your face, you're in my space, you're in my kingdom, to very deep things when people coerce us and use us and abuse us creates incredible pain and so in god creating humanity there's great dignity in humanity that we have choices we have personal space we have our kingdoms our queendoms and you phoebe's little world that she's trying to create and Lena's one and when the are two of them are are playing together sometimes no that's part of my kingdom that barbie no that's me and we're trying to negotiate that when Zoe and me were getting married we're, and getting married and and the last 11 12 years we're trying to negotiate these spaces as a family we have our own kingdom kingdom and neighborhoods and society and churches and corporations and governments goes bigger and bigger and bigger and I think that's what Jesus talks about with the kingdom of the earth the kingdoms of the earth and then Jesus talks about there's a kingdom of God and the kingdom of God is the biggest thing you can imagine As one writer says, it's the big picture of reality. It's bigger than all systems, bigger than all truths. It's the personal reign of God, where God's presence, God's will is happening. It's where his goodness, his grace, his beauty and his truth are there. The other, maybe a couple of weeks ago, I asked Lena a question. I was sort of listening to a podcast about look, you know, trying to engage your kids in spiritual matters, and there was a suggestion to ask this question to Lena my 4 year I said, you know the way God has made everything, but she's trying to work this out now, she, yesterday she said, well, did God make all the people, or how did that work, right, well, God made some people, and then people make people, and it was getting kind of complicated, but I was just sort of throwing out this question, you know the way God made all these things, do you think he has any favourites, do you think he has a top five list, or things like that, and she just looked at me, and said, no, I'm, I'm his favourite, and whether that's, uh, yet yeah, egocentric development of a four-year-old? <laughs> or actually, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that a sign that she is under the kingdom of God? That actually, when you think about that in a deep level, imagine if we all had that experience, that understanding, that simplicity, that we are God's favorite. So when we're under other under um, experiences from the kingdom of our own family of origin, maybe that didn't, didn't hear that, we go into society in and out of work, in and out of our day to say, we don't feel that special. But when we're invited to the kingdom of God, which is the biggest reality, the most important space, into that big place we can enter that and go, yeah, I'm God's favourite. And she tapped into the source of the kingdom of God. So what Jesus is saying is this, look, this kingdom of God, this space, in the, before Jesus came, Jewish people had to enter it through a temple, through ceremonies, through rituals, through ethnicity, obligations. But now the kingdom of God Anyone can enter into it, and through grace. What good news. So the good news is that this is here. It's always been here, but now you can just get in on it if you want to. Frederick Buechner, a kind of really interesting Christian writer, had a great quote about the kingdom of God. If we only had eyes to see and ears to hear and wits to understand, we'd know that the kingdom of God is... In a sense of holiness, goodness and beauty is as close as breathing and as crying out to be born both within ourselves and within the world. We would know that the kingdom of God is what we all of us hunger for above all other things, even when we don't know its name or realize that it's what we're starving to death for. The kingdom of God is what our, our best dreams come from and our truest prayers. We glimpse at those moments when we find ourselves being better than we are. Wiser than we knew. We catch sight of it when at some moment of crisis, strength seems to come to us that is greater than our own strength from a different source. The kingdom of God is where we belong. It is home. Whether we real- realize or not, I think it's where we're all homesick for it. The good news is that the kingdom of God is real. It's real than any reality here. If you, if you talk to or listen to, some, as you go deeper into scientific things, you, you begin to realize there's nothing really there. It's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> Consciousness, some other languages of kingdom of God I've heard it's really helpful. It's the spiritual reality of God. But something that we can count on in everything. I was speaking at the traditional services, trying to give an example of that. And um, without being ageist, sort of, it, was, it was amazing I recognised um, that, I read that after World War II in the late 40s, only one third of people in Ireland had electricity. And then it was a gradual, trying to get people to connect with electricity. And I always think this is maybe what the kingdom of God is this message that it's at hand. It's kinda of like maybe these guys from the ESP going to people's houses in rural Ireland saying, This electricity is at hand if you want it. You know, do you want to get connected to it? And if you do, everything's gonna change. Think about life now with every lost, uh, every electricity shuts down, everything goes. First the wireless, oh no. And then everything from that. And it's kinda of like that, that we enter into the kingdom of God. And then we spend the rest of our lives trying to get the kingdom of God into our lives and integrate it and connect it and all the spheres of life. What is does this source of energy, of joy, of peace So when this, Jesus is sending out the 70, he's saying, you know, you don't have to kind of give the, kind of the, the usual gospel spill. Just invite him and say, the kingdom of God is available. That is the good news. This is not bad news. So the method. So Jesus speaks to lots of different things themes about this. There's so much in it, but I just want to look at a, a few things, three things. But first of all, you know, some of the passage says this, whatever house you enter, remain in that same house, eating and drinking, do not move about from house to house. Whenever enter town its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. And we know with homes, there's different kingdoms going on there maybe, <laughs> um, it's all about relationship. I, sort of, as I said earlier, I think I have this image of Evangelism or Telling the Good News is a picture of, I think the next picture is, of Billy Graham. Giving it socks. We're all called to do that. In some ways, maybe some of us are. And there's a good documentary on Netflix about Billy Graham. It's interesting to look at. What a wonderful man and what he brought to the civil rights movement and how he broke down segregation in Israelis. Amazing, amazing stories, what he's, he's done. But in this method, and, and we're, you know, I'm not written that out, but I think in this passage, when he's calling all of us, the context is relationship. Going to people's homes. Eating, hospitality, engaging with them. Not moving from home to home. So committing to relationships. Verse 3 says, go, I'm sending you out. Jesus is saying, stay and get them to come here and get them to go on your agenda. Um, Charles Taylor, very well-known, respected sociologist, said this, that nowadays, well, in the past, we lived in a culture of belief, belief in God and belief in beyond the material. So we lived in a culture of belief, tempted by doubt. But now we live in a culture of doubt, tempted by belief. As one famous writer said, I no longer believe in God, but I miss him. And um, that's the world we live in now. And so the first of three things, the first thing is that we have to be understanding. We have to seek first to understand the people, the culture we're engaging with and then we can bring our understanding. I'm um, studying um, family therapy at the moment, and I came across this reading, um, and uh, not that I've read anything else about him, but Soren Kierkegaard, a famous, they say was the first existential philosopher, but he dabbled in lots of different things. He had this incredible insight about how to help people. He says this, if one is truly to succeed in leading a person to a specific place, one must first And foremost, take care to find him or her where he is and begin there. This is the secret in the entire art of helping. So many of us, we see people and they're like, well, they just get to this point, come on and drag them. As a social worker, I get this all the time, but I've learned from experience that does not work. People from addiction to recovery, you meet them where they are. And then bit by bit, you bring them up. He goes on anyone who cannot do this is himself under a delusion if he thinks he is able to help someone else in order to truly help someone else i must understand more than he is good because you have to lead them somewhere i we're talking about the kingdom of god here but certainly first and foremost understand what he understands his culture her ideas of life her experiences of church or not experience of church because if i do not do that then my greater understanding does not help him or her at all If I nevertheless want to assert my grander understanding, this big picture of the kingdom, and it's because I'm vain or proud, I want to show off how much I know, I want to show off how spiritual I am, then basically instead of benefiting the person, I really want to be admired by him. But all true helping begins with a humbling. The helper must first humble himself under the person he wants to help and thereby understand that to help is not to dominate but to serve, that to help is not to be the most dominating but the most patient. don't know about you and your lives and your families and your friends it's to stick with it this line in this passage don't move from home to home keep with those relationships that you have that to help is a willingness for the time being to put up with being in the wrong and not understanding what the other understands going to them not trying to get them to come to us in the 1970s they developed a guide called the engel scale i think it's here I find this really helpful. A, a, a guy who spoke here a good few years ago, John Tyson, an Australian pastor in New York, uh, mentioned this and I sort of looked at it. So he claims, again, there's always exceptions, but generally people get to know Jesus through steps along the way. And it's obviously further than that. And I really feel it's when we're understanding all the different people in our lives, from the person I know who's an atheist, the person who's a Buddhist, to a person who's a nominal Christian, to a person who's, kind of dipping into christianity they're all along the way and all i'm saying for this scale is just to think about the people in your lives where are they on that and meet them there so if i was meeting with a friend i remember a uh, good few years ago i've, I've lost contact with him in, in, in recent times but he was an atheist so i didn't tell him all about jesus and the truth necessary and try and get him to go there i met them with this idea that there's no awareness of god and we had discussions about what that meant practically where that was and all that we just met him there and begin to be open to things another fr- a colleague in work in my old job and she kind of was great at that she sort of said yeah like you know like i know there's something out there i'm not really into christianity's catholic stuff anymore but you know i go to a as a, a person of science to talk to my dead granny so she was open about spiritual things without me going oh no no that's wrong you need to jesus is the one i go that's really interesting you've made a couple of steps you're they're they're open to the spiritual aspect of things. So let's go begun there. I just put that up there. It's very interesting to sort of decide. So meeting each people we're inter- interacting with, we need to know where they are. So Jesus says, go to their homes, physical homes, their mental homes, their worldview homes, and meet them where they're at. In Acts, it's a great example of this. Acts is basically a book full of sermons. And it's really just the three sermons that struck me. The first sermon was Peter talking to his fellow Jews. And if you look at that sermon, it's all about Scripture, quoting the Old Testament here, there, and everything. He's meeting them where they were at. The second sermon was what they call the Gentile, God-fearing Gentiles. So they had a sense of kind of God, so maybe they are a little bit up on the scale, but no sense of Scripture. So Peter didn't quote Scripture once to them, because that wouldn't have made sense to them. But he kind of hooked into different things. The Holy Spirit came, so he hooked into experience, hooked into things they have been hearing about what's been happening in Jerusalem. Then we hear Paul. I think in Acts seventeen, another sermon. This time it was with philosophers in Athens. Had so no idea of Jewish scripture, no idea about any of the stuff that's been happening. What did he, Paul, look like? He started with an idol. I've been noticing this idol called the unknown god, and he starts with a quote from a poet about something about in him and mo- in him we live, move and have our being. He started where they're at, and in each of them there were people that ridiculed and people that were interested and people got accepted. But I think it's so important when Jesus tells us to go out to people's homes, go out to where they're at. Seek first to understand, not to be understood. The second point is to be vulnerable. Jesus says in verse 3, See, I am sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals. One of the most watched TED Talks is by a lady called Brene Brown, who any of you are... You can, and, and she talks about this whole idea of vulnerability. And she says that vulnerability, not perfection, builds connection. And this is so interesting that, yes, we have this great news to offer, but Jesus was saying, you know, in a way, I'm, you're not going to be the wolf. You're not going in there ripping up everything and telling this is how you should do it. You're living your life wrong. I'm sending you out like lambs. But also he says, I'm sending you like lambs. Be, be gentle like lambs, but be wise like serpents. Maybe they end up just being wise to where they're at. Jesus, you know, a great example of this being vulnerable, he meets a woman at a well, the heat of the day, and he asks her, will you give me a drink? He creates a sense of, I'm still vulnerable, I am human, I haven't got this all together. I've got something that might be interesting for us to talk to, that could it's helped me, it might help you. And letting go of all that armor, and this kind of interesting image, again, probably practical of purse and Sandals and bag, and sometimes when I'm meeting with with clients or even with families, the classic one is the is that usually it's the lady coming in with the purse. She sits there and it's on her knee. And it's like her armor, and you could tell even just ver- physically, not uh, just um, that she's communicating something there. And you know you're kind of getting in through to her or when the the bag put, gets put down, maybe the jacket gets taken off. But even like we can sometimes have our own armor, our our kind of sense of not wanting to disappoint, not wanting to. To, to, to be fear of people or, or whatever is important for us. But there's a sense of sometimes living a kind of a lifestyle that doesn't have all this stuff emotionally, physically, and being a bit vulnerable. And that vulnerability will bring, build connection. The other thing about being vulnerable is about being transparent in our lifestyle. One of the things I often find awkward when I know I'm doing something in church is Sundays, Friday, in work in the canteen, when the conversation turns to, What are you doing this weekend? And I'm sort of like, Okay, well, I'm speaking in, in, in a church. Oh, what was that? So I'm starting to be a bit more, This is a nice invitation. I'm not preaching at them, but I'm just letting them know a little bit about my lifestyle, what I'm doing from day to day. That can be really useful. Some people go, I don't get that. Tell me more. Some people go, I don't get that. I don't want to know anymore. Some people, I get that, I know what you're talking about, but they don't. Lots of different reactions. But even just trusting, just that transparency of our lifestyle. Transparency of our conduct. Two two things I'm trying to apply more in work in my conduct. The main one is not to gossip. I think gossip is such a common thing in, in interactions. But if I can just have a conduct that not to gossip, as again, Brene Brown talks about gossip, is false intimacy. It's like, we can gossip because this is something we, about our terrible boss. Yeah, we can gossip about this person in connection. That's a really powerful thing if you can begin, i found, if I begin to step away from that. I got drawn into it even on Friday. It's really interesting. It's like, great, i got a bit of something to connect with. Other things in there, I remember talking to my friend Jamie, and he made a, he's an accountant. He made a kind of mistake that was kind of important. He was working with his manager and straight away said, I made the mistake. Yes, He said, I could have said loads of other things that were kind of half true and they were probably to blame, but I just opened up again. What conduct, what light to show somebody that? And they begin to see this difference and maybe ask some questions. The final aspect about being transparent and being vulnerable is when the proverbial hits the fan in our lives. And, we, and people may not know what's going on in your life, but I think it's so powerful. We read that in 1 Peter, again, about apologetics. You see... Be often ready to give an answer to people when they ask for the hope that you have. People will only ask about your hope if they see generally that you're going through a really tough time and yet you're accessing a different source. Despite losing a job or a relationship, I've still got the joy of the Lord. Yes, I'm broken and in bits, but there's something else there. I'm not surrendering to bitterness and resentment. Or life's all over the place, but I'm still worshipping God. and They can see it in your lifestyle. Sometimes we don't let people in, and they don't see that. So be vulnerable in your relationships. Know that you're not perfect. That brings such connection. Being transparent. And finally, be a blessing. Again, first things are so important. In verse 5, see, whatever house you enter, so wherever the person's on that scale, wherever they're coming from, first say, peace to this house. Shalom to you. And again, we can sort of take these things for granted and then we don't apply them, but there is something so powerful about blessing somebody. What is blessing? I think it's simply seeing somebody, seeing them, truly noticing them, seeing them, listening to them, and speaking words of life to them. You know, speaking blessing people changes them neurologically, physically. Saying, look, that was really good what you did in work. You know, I really appreciate how you helped with that. It can be a, are you a blessing in your families? Are you a blessing in work? Are you a blessing in these relationships that you're trying to engage with? Be a blessing. I sometimes think about someone being a blessing. Sometimes it's like digging for gold, but there isn't much. There's so much other rubbish in their lives, so much things that you don't like about them. But if you can just dig, 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 find a little bit of gold, it can be very powerful. So in summary, this passage, there's so much more to it. The message, the message, and the message, the message is this invitation. The kingdom, the source of life, goodness, is at hand. Do you want to connect to it? And then the method is all about relationships. Be understanding. First of all, seek first to understand where they're coming from. Then to bring whatever you have to bring. Be vulnerable, like lambs amongst wolves, and be a blessing. So one practical thing to think about is maybe... Because at the very end of the passage they're all like jesus look i'm loads of people becoming christians and that's amazing this thing is actually true and real and <clears throat> i think i've got a gift for this and it's like yeah great calm down don't forget the most important thing is your relationship with jesus so continue to cultivate that we can only give what we have we're called to be witnesses witnessing what was, what we've experienced and to tell people about that this is my life experience you can take it or leave it so always cultivate that as an important thing and the next thing for my life is this idea of continue to invest in relationships stick with them this phrase don't move from house to house in my life i've done that secondary school friends have drift away amazing connections that i met with people in college that example i gave last of the hand from an amazing woman i would interact with let them love, let them drift life happens like that for me, I need to find the sense of permanency and commitment and patience with some of the people in my life. Reconnect with them. So maybe i recommend, even for a minute, if you want to, or just before we get on with the end of the service, get out your phone. Text somebody. Look at your phone list, even this evening or today. I just send a text. Reconnect with somebody. Connect with that relationship. Something encouraging or something like that. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, it's such a challenge, this idea of sending out of our comfort zones, of our, our own nice little spaces of home. And... But it always starts with a small thing, Father. I pray maybe today would be just the, the igniting the fire. And may we not put big logs on that, that stops the fire in our hearts, but may we just put a bit of kindling, that one little bit of kindling, that one friend, that one family member, that one relationship or that one idea about this kingdom of God. May it's not put something too big but just a little bit of kindling, some little small action, a text, a reaching out. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to do that. You're so practical in your lives. Amen.